Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. We'll be focusing on verses 5 to 13, the parable that we find there. However, I'm going to begin reading in verse 1. You should be somewhat familiar words, particularly the first four verses. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is a friend, yet because of his impudence, He will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Father, we ask now that you would indeed give us of your Spirit that we may have a grasp and an understanding of what it is you are calling us to, the privilege that is prayer, as we find in these verses. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this morning we are finishing our series here on the church. Of course, there'll be other sermons that will address the church, but this is the end of our series. And throughout the series, I think it's safe to say that the focus at one point or the other has been on the Word of God. And I've also mentioned to you what we call the ordinary means of grace. Basically, it's the Word the preaching of the Word in particular, the sacraments, that is, biblically regulated worship and prayer. These are the means that God uses to help us as a church uh, grow and help us as individuals grow. We also mentioned fellowship, and even though it's not part of our confession, we said that fellowship is a means to help us grow in grace, how we are conformed to the image of Christ. And most of our focus as we addressed those things was on the Word of God. Of course, that is central. But this morning I want to focus on prayer. I want to focus on prayer. And now we need to remember we're not actually moving on beyond the Word in one sense because prayer cannot be understood apart from the Word of God. It has to be our focus. We cannot separate prayer from the Scripture. It's the Scripture that teaches us to pray, and we know that, especially in the Lord's Prayer. But the point I'm making here and now, and we're going to be looking at this in particular, the importance of prayer, but I'm making here is that growth in holiness 
and I've emphasized this, comes from studying the Scriptures, knowing the Word of God, uh, uh, meditating upon the Word of God. But we also need to know that, that growing in grace comes from being persistent in prayer. One writer said, J.C. Ryle, a man's state before God may always be measured by his prayers. Uh, and notice he didn't say by how much theology he knows, although he would include that. It's by his prayers, and you'll see why in a moment. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it this way, Our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. In fact, he says, the ultimate test of my understanding of scriptural teaching is the amount of time I spend in prayer. Now, see, I I mentioned a second ago, as J.C. Rowell said, we measure our walk with God, our state before God, by our prayers. He doesn't mention theology. And in one sense, though, he does, because as Martin Lloyd-Jones goes on to say, our theology is ultimately the knowledge of God. And the more theology I know, the more it should drive me to seek God, seek to know Him. Not about Him, to know Him, he says. If all my knowledge of Scripture does not lead me to prayer, he says, there is something wrong somewhere. Study of theology is meant to lead us to prayer. And so the more you study the Scripture, the more you will know God. And the better that you know God, the more you will want to commune with Him in prayer. And see, it's this parable that the Lord teaches us. In this parable, the Lord teaches us something vitally important when it comes to knowing the God to whom we pray. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Now, as you turn to our passage... The context of this whole section is the disciples' question. They had been observing Jesus. They recognized that he was a man of prayer. And that consistent prayer life stood out to them. And so they asked him, here in verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. So there he is again. Jesus is praying. And they waited. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John, John the Baptist, taught his disciples. And so this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is actually the disciples' prayer. It's given, Jesus says, an answer to their question. How do we pray? And he says, all right, do it this way. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who's indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Now, you'll notice that that was a little different than what we recited earlier. This is the shortened version of what we find in Matthew. The one we recite is from Matthew. Jesus here is giving an outline, as it were, for prayer. It's a structure It's not so much say these words, although there's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer. We do it every Sunday, and I'm glad we do. But the idea for Jesus is here's an outline. This is a way to structure your prayers. There are two petitions for God, or to God, and three petitions for us. Two for God and and three for us. When we pray, we begin how? We're told here by glorifying God's name. How would be thy name? And then, his kingdom be extended is what we pray for. Extend your kingdom. Your kingdom come. 
And then, having done that, we now turn to our needs, asking God for our daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread, our, our daily pardon. Forgive us our sins and our daily protection. Lead us not into temptation. And so that's the structure for prayer. It's given as our structure. It's the basic pattern for our prayers. And so Jesus does not stop there, though. He gives that structure. Remember, they want to learn how to pray. And so he gives them this structure to follow. And then he goes on to tell them a parable. And the parable is meant to give them an incentive to take that structure and pray consistently. Look at verse 5, picking up there. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give, up any, give you anything. Jesus begins by, Which of you? You can paraphrase it. Can you imagine that? The idea is the absurdity of this story that he's telling. The answer to the question is meant to be absolutely no one would do this. It would be outrageous to do this, to refuse help of a friend. Now, we talked about the importance of hospitality in the Jewish culture, especially for those who were traveling long distances when they came to a town. Remember, they didn't have hotels. They didn't have restaurants there. And when they arrived somewhere, they'd be very tired and very hungry. And so when they came to someone's house, the first order of business was to put a meal on the table. And bread was essential to the meal. Obviously, it had nutrients, but bread was essential as well because it was what it was used to eat. They would break off pieces and dip it into the bowl or dip it in and use it kind of as a spoon to eat. And so it was essential. And so that's the context of what the, how these people would think. And the parable, what happens is the hostess realizes that these guests have come and he has no bread. And so what he does is he approaches his neighbor and he goes to get three loaves. Now, that... That's, that's a, a, a great request. The three loaves shows how important hospitality was. One would have been enough, but he wants them to feast. He wants it to be a, 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 a party of sorts. I can remember growing up, I lived right next door to my grandmother, um, and I would go over for lunch, and she would lay out enough food for our whole town, and it was all for me. It, it, that was the idea. There would be spaghetti. I don't have to go into it. There would be a lot. And, and so uh, the more the merrier is the idea. And, and that's what's happening here. Um, and, and so he asks his friend for three loaves, and his friend says, surprisingly, that's the idea, the parable, go away. That's what's so absurd. A good friend would never turn him away. Uh, but this friend was trying to skirt his responsibility. Now, at this point in his commentary, Phil Riken shares the story of that great theologian, Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) Pooh was walking by Rabbit's Hole and wanted to stop by for a little snack. He needed some food, and so he bent down, and he called out, Is anybody home? And there was silence, but there was scuffling from inside the hole, and, uh, and then Pooh responds, What I said is, is anybody home? He calls out loudly, and no said a voice, and then added, you needn't shout loud. I heard you quite well the first time. 
Bother, said Pooh. Isn't there anybody here at all? Nobody, said Rabbit. What, what, what's the story? Why did he tell that story? Because Rabbit didn't want to be bothered. He didn't want to be a host to a hungry bear. But, but Pooh, in the story, persists. He persists, and it paid off. Rabbit invites him in, even reluctantly, to come inside, and Pooh gets his snack. And in a sense, that's what this parable is. This man tells his neighbor no in four ways. He starts, the the neighbor knocks, and I need bread, and he says, don't bother me. The door's shut. My children are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. And he has four excuses, but none of them are really that good. I mean, the door could be opened. Yeah, it was shut, but it could be opened. The children could fall back to sleep again. Now, remember, they're all in a room. They didn't have different sections of the house. And so they would have been in the bed. And yes, they would have woke up, but they could have fallen back asleep. He actually could help. Why? Because he actually had the bread. He just didn't want to be bothered. And, but the hostess, like Pooh, doesn't give up, right? He, he persisted. He kept knocking. Verse 8, I tell you, though he will not give up and give him anything... Because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, the key here is that word impudence. or uh, uh, The ASV text note actually says persistence. That's the idea. Literally, it's translated shamelessness. To be shamelessly presumptuous. Uh, the emphasis is on his brashness. He was acting with, without any sensibility to shame or disgrace. Now, usually when we think of such a person as someone, we, we think it's as someone who just doesn't care about what other people think. Do you just come out, ever run into this person? Do you just come out and say anything, no matter uh, uh, what you would think of that person, and you wouldn't even dare to ask it? They don't mind. They feel no shame. You've heard the word, they got gall. Now, that's the idea. Uh, of course, when we look at that person, what do we think of? They're rude. And we think of them negatively. They should feel shame for the way they're acting. Shame is usually negative. But here, we have to understand that if the cause is good, then shameless insistence is good. If a person is starving and in need of shelter, for example, there's no shame in boldly asking for help. Oh, people may feel shame, but they should not feel shame if they're persistent in asking for help. Why? Because the cause is good. People are starving. People are are, are homeless. They need help, and so being persistent in that way is good. This man's cause was good. Remember the importance of hospitality in, in the Middle East. This was a praiseworthy shame. And so here's the application. This is the point Jesus is making. This is how we should pray. We should be shamelessly persistent. We should be shamelessly presumptuous when we approach God's throne. Now, don't misunderstand. He is not saying God is like the angry friend. And you have to kind of keep beating at the door uh, uh, of heaven because he doesn't want to be bothered. But, you know, and he just gives in. That's not the point. What he's saying is, if a grouchy friend can be forced to help in this shameless insistence, and he gives in to it, how much more the loving father? That's the point. And he's saying, look, you should be confident. You should be bold in doing this. Why? Because he wants to help. 
When you pray, you're not praying correctly when, or like this at least, when you say, Lord, I, I know it's not important and, and you probably don't mind and, and you don't care and you don't have any boldness in your prayer. You don't even expect him to answer. What he's saying is, you're not supposed to say, maybe, could you possibly meet my need? That's not how we pray. We should just come right out and say it with confidence, tirelessly asking until we get an answer. One writer put it this way. The lesson of the parable is we must not play at prayer, but must show persistence if we do not receive the answer immediately. It is not that God is unwilling and must be pressed into answering. And then he says this. The whole context is clear that he's eager to give. But if we do not want what we are asking for enough to be persistent, we do not want it very much. And so that's the point. The reason we lack so much spiritual depth in our day is because we fail to be persistent in prayer. The reason why we are not spiritually mature or as mature as we want to be, the reason why we're not progressing in our growth and holiness, the, the reason why we're not seeing revival the reason why we are failing to reach our friends and neighbors with the good news of the gospel is because we do not pray enough. Oh, I prayed this morning for that. But did I pray Sunday night and then Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Was I persistent? No, we need to persevere and we're not persevering. We, we are not shamelessly, persistently asking God to do his work in people's lives. We need to pray. And when all else is done, as the saying goes, we need to keep praying. Pray without ceasing is what the Apostle Paul commands. Now, that's the context. That's, that's the call. Let me clarify some things. Yes, we need to pray this way. We do. But again, God is, is um, not waiting for us to reach a certain quota. I prayed now 12 times for revival. If I just do it 38 more, then God will answer. That's not the idea here. We need to pray this way, persisting, because Jesus teaches us to pray. And when he teaches us to pray, he commands us to have all, the audacity to keep telling him what we need. He invites us to do it. And he encourages us to do it. Look at verse 9. And I tell you, or a better translation, so I tell you. In light of the parable, Jesus is saying, in light of what I just said in that parable, he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be open. Literally, the, the passage reads, keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. Now, keep asking implies asking for assistance because we have a conscious need. We realize we're not able to meet that need in our own strength, and so we ask for help. Keep seeking implies the asking but then it adds action. It means to strive after or to demand. And then to keep knocking includes both asking and acting, plus persevering, like someone who keeps pounding on a closed door. And so the image here is it means you are now storming the gates of heaven with your prayer. 
seek. I mean, ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock, right? You're, you're storming the gates of heaven. But also remember, Jesus isn't saying if we do this, God is now obligated to answer uh, the way we want him to answer. We're not earning our request by praying a lot. Sometimes I think we get that image. I know I do. It's, well, I prayed a lot, so he really has to answer this one. I didn't pray as hard for that one. Yes, we have to be persistent. But what he's doing is calling us to the proper heart attitude. He, he, he wants us to ask in faith. Faith in what? That we get our answer? No, faith in God. He wants us to seek him with a sincere heart. Um, and everyone who keeps knocking with confidence in God, that's the idea. Keep knocking confident with God. He's saying don't hold back. He, he, uh, but to go before the throne of God boldly persistently asking for what we need. See, prayer works as we work at prayer. Now, when you turn back to our text, I want you to notice something else. Look at verses 9 and 10. Did you pick up on these promises? Jesus assures us if we ask, seek, Knock, acknowledge our need, and are persistent in the asking. And, 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 and if we do that, we will receive what we need. We will find what we're searching for, and the doors of heaven will be open to us. God will keep his promises. What's our role? To keep on persisting in prayer. Now, this isn't a blank check. I'm just going to pray every morning that I get a Lamborghini Every morning, I, I get my yacht. I, I'm just going to pray and pray. I know there, there are people on television that tell you that foolishness. Do not listen to them. That's not what this is talking about. It's not whatever you want you can have as long as you're persistent. There is a context here. And the context here is the Lord's prayer. It sets the parameters for what we're to ask, seek, and knock for. The boundaries have been established in those verses. Here's how you pray. Father, how would be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Your name, your kingdom, your will. And so our persistent prayers must always be according to God's name, according to God's kingdom, and according to God's will. It's not a blank check. But what we do receive in response to these persistent prayers is surely more than we could ever imagine. Paul says it this way, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask. So all we can think of to ask, he does far more abundantly. See, these promises that are being made here are so immense that Jesus goes on to prove that God really is that generous. I think we have a hard time believing that at times. We, we, don't, we, we doubt it. And Jesus is saying, I know you doubt that sometimes, but I want you to understand how generous God is. And he teaches us here that God, a Father, loves us graciously, and he, he desires to lavishly pour out his blessings upon his children. Look at verses 11 to 13. And now we have kind of a, a second parable of sorts. What father among you, if his sons ask for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, once again, Jesus asks a question that sounds absurd. 
Uh, there are mean fathers out there. There are. I mean, let, let, uh, that's not the point of the parable. But, but uh, the point here is that even a mean father is not likely, when his son asks for a fish, to hand him a scorpion. To hand him a snake when he asks for, or, or hand him a, a snake when he asks for uh, an egg. It would be outrageous. The kid's starving. Dad, can I have something? And he gives him a snake, so he gets bit and, and dies. But Jesus is making the case to show how generous God is. What he's doing is he's arguing from the lesser to the greater. Even if that were to happen, even evil fathers will give good gifts to their children at times. I mean, even the worst of fathers may do one nice thing. Again, we don't want to press the parable, but that's the point he's getting at. How much more, though? That's what Jesus is emphasizing. How much more will the heavenly Father give? If an evil father, and all of us are evil fathers in that sense, are willing to do good for our children, how much more the heavenly Father? You see, beloved, when we approach the throne of grace, it's not just the sovereign king that we're approaching. It's not just the all-powerful, all-knowing, holy Lord we are approaching. Yes, we come humbly because he is the king of kings, but we approach a benevolent, loving, good, and gracious father who, who, who delights in giving his gifts to his children. He takes delight in it, and not just any gifts. You see, the gift that he gives is greater than any earthly father can give. Look at verse 13. If you're persistent in prayer, ask, seek, knock, ask, seek, knock, he gives you the Holy Spirit. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, that kind of seems strange. We're talking about prayers, and you would think, well, if I ask, seek, knock, I'm going to get the answer. What I'm looking for is the answer to my prayer. And what he says here, you're going to ask, seek, knock for whatever it may be, and I'm going to give the Holy Spirit. There's no mention of the Holy Spirit prior to this. And so what is he getting at? The Lord's Prayer doesn't tell us to ask for the Holy Spirit. So why is this mentioned? Well, notice, Jesus isn't saying he gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask for the Holy Spirit. That is true, but that's not what he asks here. He says here, he's saying, when you go to God to ask for whatever it is you ask for, when you go to bed tonight and you, you kneel down and you pray tonight, whatever it is you ask for, whatever it is, God responds by giving you the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur explains, you ask for comfort. Things aren't going well, someone's sick, you ask for comfort. Well, he gave you the comforter, which is the term used for the Holy Spirit in, in John 14. You ask for help. The helper, the paraclete, he gave you the helper. You ask for truth, he gives you the spirit of truth. You ask for power, he gives you the spirit of power. You ask for wisdom, he gives you the spirit of wisdom. You ask for guidance, he gave you the guide. You ask for love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control, and he gives you the spirit who releases his fruit into your life. See, that is the generosity of God. If you ask for a gift, he gives you the giver. You ask for the effect, he gives you the cause. You ask for the product, and he gives you the source. 
It's not that he never gives you the gift, the effect, or the cause, but he gives you so much more, far more abundantly. See, to have the Holy Spirit means you have full communion with the triune God. Full communion. By promising us us the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is promising that God himself will live within us. Revealing his truth to us. That God himself will live within us, comforting our souls. That God will help us in our afflictions. He will make us wise. He will give us guidance. He will conform us into the image of his son. And he will fill us with the fruit of the spirit. That is the blessing of the gift of the spirit. And see, that is the blessing of prayer. When you pray, God fills you with his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit... Who is he? He is the one who raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He resides within you. And when you pray, when you seek, when you ask, when you knock, you are filled with the Spirit of God. That's the power of prayer. That's why we persist in prayer. And see, that leads us back to where we began. I'll I'll close with this. Now, I quoted Martin Lloyd-Jones earlier. The ultimate test of your understanding of the scriptural teaching is the amount of time you spend in prayer. The more theology you know, the more it should drive you to seek to know God. Not to know about Him, but to know Him. See, a faithful prayer life is dependent upon your knowledge of God. And the more you know about this God, about the triune God, the more you'll want to commune with Him. And and therefore, the more confident and committed you will be to pray. And and so the most important lesson from this parable is that we should keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking. Why? For material blessings? No, no. But so we can receive more spiritual blessings. The more you pray, the more of God, as it were, you receive If you value God the Father, if you value God the Son, if you value God the Holy Spirit, you will value persistent, shameless prayer. But if you don't, if you don't value communion with God, then here's my prayer. My prayer for you is that you would believe. And why would I say that? See, only unbeliever considers communion and knowledge of God valueless. If you see no value in knowing God, you cannot know him through Jesus Christ. You are not saved. And so my prayer is that you would ask God to give you the gift of repentance for not acknowledging him for who he is, that he would give you the gift of faith, faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, What does Scripture say? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What does the Scripture say? No one comes to the Heavenly Father but through me, speaking of Jesus. So right now, here in this room or on the Internet, right at this moment, ask God, ask God to cleanse you from your sin. Ask Him to forgive you of your sin. Ask Him to wash you clean and then credit to your account Christ's perfect righteousness. Ask Him. For the gift of the Holy Spirit. Ask him for that. And he will change you from the inside out. Be confident. Be expectant. Why? Because as we learn, believer 
You should understand this. Unbeliever, if you don't understand it, you can know this. It is true from Scripture. If you submit yourselves to God, in either case, God is ready and willing to answer that request. You can be saved. You can be sanctified. All you have to do is ask and seek and knock to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray now. I do pray for those who may not know you, who don't understand how, uh, what a blessing it is to have communion with you, to know you, to, uh, to know you in Jesus Christ, that you would save their souls, that you would grant them repentance, that you would give them of your spirit so that they can have faith. And Father, I pray for those of us that do believe, and yet often the things of this world distract us and we find more enjoyment than, in them and more value in them than we do knowing you and praying persistently. And so we ask, Father, you would enable us by your Spirit. Forgive us and enable us to do that which is pleasing in your sight, uh, to enter the throne room asking, seeking, and knocking. Amen.